0: Good morning. Today's reading is from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian, eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, please tell me, is this prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave the orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azatos and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks, Ron. Appreciate that. Thank you, Ron. Ron. Thank you. Jeez. Nothing irks me more than when people don't respond. I mean, he could have just been like, no problem. Sure. Anytime. You could have just turned around and made some eye contact with me, Ron. That would have been a response. I wasn't looking for anything specific. Good morning, everybody. Hey, there's a response. He didn't know how to do it. Now, let me tell you, with little kids, this is the worst. If you've ever tried to talk to a little kid before, you know that you've got like a 50-50 shot of them doing anything in response to you talking to them. People come up to my kids all the time and try and talk to them. And half the time, they just sit there and stare. Someone will be like, oh, hi, how are you doing? The other half of the time, they just walk away. And we're trying to teach them the appropriate thing to do when somebody's talking to you is that you look them in the face and that you can talk back to them, you can give them a response. But it's going to be something that they just have to learn. Honestly though, it's even worse if you're talking over the phone to a little kid. Have you ever tried to talk over the phone with a little kid? Hi, Johnny. Hi, how are you? How you doing? I miss you. Are you there? (laughs) I'm giving kids a hard time here. They're going to grow, and they're going to learn. But honestly, adults can be pretty bad at it too. I mean, you and I were better when we're face-to-face with people. But if we're not face-to-face with people or talking over the phone or something like that, it's a little tougher for us to get a response sometimes. Like when you're sending an email to somebody at work, I just need you to respond to my email so that I can do the next part of my job, which is exactly what everyone on staff thinks about me half the time. (laughs) Or if it's something that's like far out in the future, you're planning a future event. And so you, you know, people have time to think about it. They don't feel the urgency to respond right away. But you need an RSVP. An RSVP, meaning respond if you please. As in, please tell me sooner rather than later if you're coming so I know how much food to order. Please. If you and I struggle when we're not face-to-face or over the phone to respond to one another, how much more difficult can it be for us to respond to God Who we don't see face to face, and who doesn't demand immediate responses from us all the time. God is active in your life, though, and we can choose to respond to Him today. The question is what's your next step? Today, we're gonna be looking at three different people and their three different responses to God. We're in this series right now going through the book of Acts, and we've been seeing that in the book of Acts, it's a whole series of responses that people are making to the good news about Jesus. The book of Acts is all about what happened to the followers of Jesus after Jesus died for your sake and for mine, and was raised from the dead so that we also could be raised from the dead, and ascended to the Father where he is currently sitting and reigning, Jesus told his followers that they would testify about him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, after Jesus left, his followers were scared. But Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit made people do dramatic things when they testified about him. Miracles were happening, and many many people were responding to what the apostles were saying. They were believing in Jesus and becoming part of the gathering in Jerusalem and around Judea. Pretty soon, the leaders of this movement, though, encountered some problems from the religious authorities. The religious authorities were responding too, but they weren't responding in a good way. Their response was to assault and to threaten the leaders of this Jesus movement. Eventually, this rose to a climactic moment when the religious leaders had had enough, and they killed Stephen, a leader in the church. Stephen testified about Jesus, and then the religious leaders responded by killing him just as they had killed Jesus. That was the subject of last week's very uplifting message, by the way, which you can check out online if you need to. John, it was a great message. That brings us to our current chapter in the book of Acts, which is Acts chapter 8. If you haven't already, you can pull it up on a device, open up a Bible. I would love for you to follow along as we go through this. We're going to focus on the second half of the chapter, but just to fill you in on the first half, after Stephen was killed, the gathering of Jesus' followers faced fierce opposition. They were persecuted And they scattered away from the epicenter of Jerusalem, telling people the good news about Jesus as they went. One of those who scattered was Philip. We've already heard about Philip in the story of Acts. Just like Stephen, he's one of the seven who was chosen for a special task to serve the church. When the church scattered, he ended up in Samaria, where he preaches the good news about Jesus, and the people respond to the message, and are baptized. In Samaria, there's this man named Simon who causes a little bit of trouble. We're going to come back to him later. But that brings us now to the passage that Ron just read for us. An angel tells Philip to go onto the desert road and then to draw near to a certain chariot. The chariot has a man who was a eunuch who was also Ethiopian. And he was in charge of the entire treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. And he had been in Jerusalem to worship the God of the Jews. I mean, that's a pretty amazing description for this guy. It's really unique. The fact that he's Ethiopian from a distant Land emphasizes that the boundaries of the gospel are being pushed outward from Jerusalem. Remember, the church is supposed to go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, all through Acts so far, they've been in Jerusalem and Judea. But here in chapter 8, we see them going to Samaria, and then now with the Ethiopian, the boundaries are being pushed even further. This guy is also in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia, which, I mean, that seems like a pretty big role to me. He's got a unique position in life. But he was in Jerusalem to worship, which means he may not have been a Gentile. Gentiles will play a really important role in the story of Acts up ahead. We're going to see that a little bit in the future, but that's not the emphasis that's happening here. The emphasis that's happening here is that he's a eunuch, which means he's castrated. Which is something I never thought I'd really have to talk about in church. <laughs> Actually, uh, every time I read this passage, the first thing that comes to my mind is this experience that Steph and I had when we went to Pakistan in 2010. And some of the time that we were there we spent in Islam- Islamabad, the capital. And in Islamabad, There's a bakery called Unique Bakers, and it's really popular there. There are several locations in Islamabad and in the neighboring city of Ralpindi. They're everywhere. And what's really actually unique about Unique Bakers, though, is that people in Pakistan pronounce it eunuch bakers. So they're the eunuch bakers that are really popular in Islamabad. has nothing to do with the sermon, by the way, but I wanted to share that with you. (laughs) For the Ethiopian, being a eunuch also means that he was never really accepted when he came to Jerusalem to worship. The Jewish law says, neither a eunuch nor one who has been castrated shall enter into the assembly of the Lord. Of all those initial descriptions given of the Ethiopian, it's the eunuch that Luke, the author of Acts, focuses on. For the rest of the story, he only refers to him again and again as the eunuch. That's the aspect of this man that he wants to focus on the most, that he was specifically not allowed into the assembly of Israel, even though he went to Jerusalem to worship. That's the person that the Holy Spirit leads Philip to on the road. Did you know that God wants people that nobody else wants? This is really the main purpose of this passage. Luke included it in the story to show that those people who previously were outsiders, rejected, are now welcomed into the gathering, accepted as one of the people of God. And Luke's not done with that point. He's going to keep making that point as the gospel's moving out to those even further outside than the eunuch. Are there people who are generally viewed as outsiders in the church today? Because of their ideas? Because of their politics? Because of their decisions? Because of their lifestyle? Maybe you can picture someone who you think is considered an outsider. Sometimes we're pretty good at putting up walls rather than extending invitations. The kingdom of God, though, is an open invitation to absolutely everybody. There is nobody who will be turned away. Maybe you feel like you've been rejected by God and by the church. Maybe you have been rejected by the church. I don't know your story. But you have not been rejected by God. There is nobody who has to remain as an outsider to the kingdom of God. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter how you're perceived in society, God has extended an invitation to you through Jesus. But the invitation... Requires a response. And what we see from the eunuch here is a response that is eager. He's in the chariot reading from the book of Isaiah, one of the Old Testament prophets, and he's reading from one of my favorite passages ever: Isaiah 52:13 through 53:12. We're gonna put it on the screen here, just so you can actually see all those numbers, because it'd be great if you read it later. It's an awesome passage. Philip tells the eunuch. That passage, which was written hundreds of years ago, that's talking about Jesus. When the eunuch hears this, he responds and he takes a next step. He says, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? God acts in his life. He responds and he takes a next step. And I'm assuming he was changed after that. There are actually several people who are going to be taking that same next step here at New Hope next week. About a dozen people who are going to be baptized next Sunday. I really encourage you to come back next Sunday to participate in that, to witness it, and also to support those who are being baptized. A little, a little round of applause. We'll give them a real round of applause next week for sure. <laughs> In what ways is God acting in your life? In what ways do you think you should respond to God? Are you eager to respond but don't really know how? Come talk to somebody. Maybe baptism is your next step. Maybe you've never really committed to following Jesus. There are probably people in this room or people who are watching online who have been coming for quite a while, but have never really taken a next step with Jesus. The invitation into Jesus' kingdom is open to everyone, but it requires a response. God is active in your life, and you can choose to respond to him today. In our story, though, not everybody has a favorable response to God I mentioned to you earlier Simon. Simon is someone who Philip encounters in Samaria. He's described as someone who practices sorcery or magic and who has captured the attention of everyone high and low in Samaria. Luke says that he boasted that he was someone great. I always question anybody who has to declare their own greatness. When Philip comes to Samaria telling people the good news about Jesus, Simon initially responds in the same way that the other Samaritans do. He believes and he's baptized. He takes an initial step as he sees God acting and moving, but then things go south for Simon. When all these events in Samaria happen, two main leaders in the church, Peter and John, are sent from Jerusalem to Samaria Samaria to verify that Samaritans, outsiders, have believed the message of Jesus. Then they pray that the Samaritans will receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes down upon them, and it's all great. Luke says, though, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter responds to Simon, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. We never see another favorable response from Simon. His part of the story is coming to an end. It's a lesson for us in how we respond to God. Simon doesn't reject God. He believes and he's baptized, but Simon lacks humility. Remember, he thought he was pretty great and he was accustomed to using power to have influence over others. When he sees that there's a greater power, the Holy Spirit, he wants to bring that power under his control so that he can use it. In fact, he thinks he can buy it. Do you think people try to use God as a means of power over others today? I probably don't need to remind you that Tuesday is the deadline to get your voting ballots in. God gets used as a means of power over others in politics. It happens in the church. It happens in our own lives individually when we try to manipulate the power of God for our own ends. Simon's response to God is in contrast to the eunuch. The eunuch responds with humility, takes a next step toward God, and then leaves full of joy. Simon, whose self-assessment is that he's great, responds by seeking power so that he can be greater and then we don't hear what happens at the end of his story. Sometimes our own response to God is that we want to buy him off. Perhaps if we give him what he wants, or at least what we think he wants, in return, he'll give us what we want as well. Our response, then, isn't one of humility. It's a self-focused response. And because of this, Peter says of Simon, that his heart is not right before God. I don't know about you, but my heart is often not right before God. My motives aren't always pure. I try to manipulate God. Sometimes I desire more control or power than what God has given me. That's why I need Jesus. And thankfully, because of Jesus, I'm not written off by God. And in fact, neither was Simon. For Simon, there's another invitation that is extended to him. Peter says, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. The invitation is to repent and pray. That's a way of responding to God and taking a step toward him. Simon, though, doesn't take that kind of a next step. His response isn't a turning or a movement toward God. And as a a result, Luke just stops Simon's part of the story right there. Simon's response is an irresponsible response. Simon doesn't take responsibility, which is necessary for repentance. Instead, he throws it back on Peter. You pray for me, Peter. Is there anything in life that you're not taking responsibility for, that just maybe you have some responsibility for? Is it easier just to blame others? It's their fault. Or to blame your circumstances? I don't have a choice. Or to blame something bigger than yourselves? As Bart Simpson likes to say, the devil made me do it? I know, none of you watch The Simpsons, it's all right. Or maybe it's just the way God made me? Or we compare ourselves to other. Everyone else is doing it. Or... I'm not as bad as most people. The most effective way to not take responsibility is to rationalize what we're doing. And generally, we're better at rationalizing than we are repenting. Trust me, I am. And I have a feeling you might have a little experience in that as well. But kind of like muscle memory, The one I make a habit of more, rationalizing or responding, I'll turn to more easily and readily. The less accustomed we are to responding to God by turning back to him, the harder it can be. When we refuse to respond to God, when we don't turn toward him and try to take a step toward him, we risk building up protective callous layers in our minds and in our hearts. The more we ignore the invitation, the prompting, the word of God, the harder our hearts might become. And the more difficult it might be for us to respond and take a next step with God when there's a future opportunity. It's like any close relationship that you may have. If you begin to close yourself off to the other person and stop moving toward them, you eventually grow distant and even stop caring as much. The hope that we have, though, is that as long as there is a day called today, then there's an opportunity to respond to Jesus. He's active in your life even if you've ignored him in the past or haven't been interested in what he has to say, even if you've flat-out refused him at some point, or even if your heart's become hard to him and the distance has become greater over time. One of the church leaders at the time that all of this is happening with Acts, he wrote to the Christians of that time, quoting the Old Testament, and he said, today... If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today is another opportunity to respond to God. Perhaps repent instead of rationalizing, and to pray. Every day is a day to turn to God regardless of what the previous day looked like. That's called grace. And it is in abundance for you today. Now we come to Philip. This guy is such a jerk. I'm just joking. Nobody could say anything bad about Philip. Earlier in the story of Acts, he serves the church in practical ways. He follows where God directs him, he performs miracles in the name of Jesus, and he's kind and compassionate to the eunuch. Philip is someone who's mature and established. In the faith, he's trustworthy and full of the Spirit and wisdom. He's a leader in the church. Here's the thing with Philip he doesn't stop responding to God. Regardless of the changing circumstances, which were constantly changing for him, regardless of the rapidity that those changes were happening, regardless of the dangers of his circumstances as the church was being persecuted. Regardless of the ways that it stretched him personally to talk to the outsiders, the Samaritans and the eunuch, he kept faithfully responding to God and taking the next step. The church was scattered, so he told people about Jesus as he went. The angel said, go south, so he went south. The spirit said, go to that chariot, so he went to that chariot. He heard the eunuch reading Isaiah, so he asked him a question about it. He saw an opportunity, so he told the eunuch about Jesus. The eunuch wanted to be baptized, so he baptized him. Then the Spirit took him to somewhere else, so he preached the gospel there. God was, needless to say, very active in Philip's life. And Philip kept faithfully responding and taking the next step. Now, mostly, this next step was to pass on what he had seen or heard about Jesus. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Philip was living that out. Whatever he had received from Jesus, either indirectly or directly, he gave away to others. In fact, later on, he's called Philip the evangelist. This reminds me of a story. Earlier, I said, Every time I read this passage, the first thing I think about is the story about the eunuch bakers. That's not actually true. This is the first thing that I typically (laughs) think about every time I read this passage. But it's also connected to Pakistan. When we were there, we got to spend a few days with these Ethiopian missionaries. These were two guys who were Ethiopian, had raised money from their church in Ethiopia, which is far more difficult in Ethiopia than it is in America. And they sent these two missionaries to Pakistan to preach the gospel. Now, I just think about, I mean, these guys, let me tell you, they were like evangelists par excellence. They would I remember one time we were driving uh, in this little truck, and the guy's hanging out the back of the truck telling other drivers about Jesus as we're going, (laughs) which kind of makes me think of this chariot on the road in our story right here. But I also just think about Philip Telling the Ethiopian about Jesus, he's baptized, and then he continues on back to Ethiopia, which technically isn't nowadays Ethiopia. But the idea is from that point, he's got to be telling other people about Jesus. And 2,000 years later, there's an Ethiopian, two of them, coming from Ethiopia to Pakistan to preach the good news about Jesus. It's incredible. Philip, of course, is a stellar example for us in this passage. His response is a faithful response. Philip is the example of responding to God regardless of the circumstances that we're in, actually responding and taking a next step. I say that because if you're like me, you often plan to respond to God tomorrow. I'm really good at planning to respond to God tomorrow, but it's a little bit more of a challenge to do it today. My guess is responding to God, saying yes to God, became easier and easier for Philip. The more he saw God's goodness, the quicker he said yes, no matter what was thrown at him. Are we experiencing many changes in life or society today? Yes. Amen. Oh, thank you for that response. <laughs> I don't know about you, but to me it feels like things are changing all the time. Sometimes those changes are fun, sometimes they're not. Sometimes I like them, sometimes I don't. But every change is an opportunity to turn and respond to God. What is your next God-word step in the midst, midst of change? If you're resistant to change, in what ways does that keep you from responding to God? Maybe like Philip, every change presents a new opportunity to be a witness of Jesus, to live out the mission of the church. Unlike Simon, who was focused on himself and what he could get on his own terms, Philip was focused on someone and something far greater. That's the view of life I want to have. That's the kind of response I want to have, no matter what's happening. Now, I'm going to make an assumption here that some of you in this room or watching online are asking the question, what if I don't see that God is active in my life? What am I supposed to respond to? I'd eagerly respond if there was something that needed a response. but last time I checked, God wasn't sending an angel to tell me to go preach the gospel to a eunuch. I said this uh, a few weeks ago, but I'll repeat it again today. The events that we're reading about in Acts are very unique in history, or perhaps very unique in history. One of those. All right, that was the worst one, probably. (laughs) Luke didn't write down all of this to show that that is how things are always going to be. He's writing specifically to show that new things were happening, that everything was changing because of Jesus and specifically because of the mission that Jesus gave to his followers. That was, there was something special that was happening at that time. Now, miracles still happen today. God still speaks to people in dramatic ways today. But most of us have to learn to see God's activity in less obvious ways. We have to hear his voice through the Bible or through another person. We have to let him shape our hearts and our minds through prayer. We have to wait for those times when somebody in our community says something that makes us go, I think that was for me. We need to learn how to make space in our lives to be able to hear from God, to have some practices, some disciplines, some rhythms in our lives that help prepare our hearts to see how God is active. And sometimes, just as the eunuch was traveling on a desert road, we need to walk through the wilderness place, trusting that God is good Even when he seems silent, I'm pretty certain that all of us have or will have experiences like that in life. Times when we're looking for a response from God, and he seems just as silent as Ron did this morning. (laughs) He's with us in those times, too. I think Jesus is more present with us each and every day than we can fully even understand, whether we feel it or not. Everything in our story today was pretty dramatic, but most of our responses to God are not in dramatic circumstances. They're found in the practice of daily turning to him in the midst of our frustrations, of our pain, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our mundane. That's where it's actually harder to respond to God, in the mundane instead of the dramatic. He's active in your life, and you can choose to respond to him today. What's your next step? A next step that is a turning toward or a movement toward God. What have you read in the Bible that needs a response from you? What is it that you know you've been holding on to that the Spirit through your conscience has been telling you that it's time for a change? How can you turn toward God Today. Let's pray. I'm grateful, God, that you even want a response from us. Thank you that you love us so much and that every day is a day full of grace where we have the choice to respond to you. Thank you for all the forgiveness we have in Jesus. Thank you for the way that your Spirit is working in our lives. I pray in particular for those who feel like maybe they're walking in a desert place in this time of their life right now where they don't sense how close you are or that you're active in their lives or that you're trying to speak to them. I pray, God, that you give them patience through this time. And I pray, God, that when it's appropriate, you have all the wisdom to know when that is, you would reveal yourself to them. But you'd help them to respond to you every day until then. Thank you for loving us so much. I pray, Father, that each day you would show us how to respond to you. We love you and we trust you. Amen.